Hi, I'm Frankie Frayne, and I've been making movies since I was a kid. I've made four low-budget feature films of varying success, and I've been to film school. Twice. For better or worse, I've developed a science for completing feature-length films on pocket change, and it has a lot to do with the conversations you'll hear on this podcast with teachers, friends, and artists. You don't have to pay 40 grand a year for bad advice. This is Discount Film School. Welcome back to Discount Film School. Uh, sitting down with former classmate, somebody that I took a class called Professional Voice and Speech with in, I want to say, 2007. 2006 or 2007. And I don't think I've spoken to her since then. Her name is Mallory Hoff. And this is what I know. When we were in that class, um, she sounded in, in casual conversation like a news person. <laughs> Finding out that she's been doing news for six years in Northern California does not surprise me at all. And I said, there's got to be a rich uh, amount of experience there that she can share on Discount Film School. So Mallory, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Honored to be here. I can't believe it's been so long. <laughs> it's been a really long time. All right. So take us through your upbringing and education. I grew up in Atlanta. I did a lot of writing, was always very passionate about current events, mm -hmm. storytelling, did an internship at CNN, which was right down the street from where I went to high school and thought, okay, uh -huh. journalism might be a good fit for me. Did you know that you wanted to be an on-screen performer or did you, were you like, no, I just want to produce news packages? Did you think you wanted to maybe do the technical end of things, editing, shooting, anything like that? You know, I, I don't think I was ever too technically savvy, um, but I think it was always all about telling stories with integrity. And then kind of getting into the current events side of things, I think, really intrigued me. Mm -hmm. um, so writing, storytelling, I think the performance aspect of TV news kind of came from that theatrical background. But there's obviously such a huge difference in what you put on television news versus, uh, you know, the more creative theatrical side of things. So you had you were concerned about like in, the integrity of storytelling even at a really young age, like even throughout high school and stuff. You know, I, I think that I was uh, again just kind of watching news, taking in stories. I, I don't know that at that point, at sixteen years old, if I fully grasped and comprehended what that meant. But I think, in a sense, yeah, I think it was all about okay, how can we, how can I tell stories as an artist that you know. Uh, have integrity, what's important to people, how can we share stories of, of humanity. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that was something that presented itself both in the arts and then when I started to venture into journalism, I started to understand, okay, telling stories with integrity is very important to me. How can I do that in this realm? Did you have, did you like have a good sense of, did you ever realize that you actually, that you did have a gift in your voice and in your, your screen presence or did you learn that later because you do have a voice. I mean, you were born with a naturally. Yeah, you know, it, it was an interesting process. You know, I, I think the voice was recognized very, very early on. I mean, I still remember being in first or second grade and um, all the kids were talking when the teacher was talking. But for some reason, I was the only one who would get called out. Why? Because my voice was lower and louder than everybody else's. Because, <laughs> so, because she was I, Mallory was news that you can trust even in the first. Grade. Well, I, I don't know about that, but um, but I was certainly the one that was overheard and um, was the one who got in trouble when everybody else said, oh, we weren't talking. Uh, but, but I couldn't get away with it because, uh, for some reason or another, my, my voice was always heard. So I think even at a young age, I, I knew I had this voice. I don't think I knew what to do with it. Um, and then as I got more into theater and the arts, I think I realized, okay, um, 
what do I have here to offer? Can I tell you something? That thing about like like getting called on and also getting blamed and all like your voice carrying that yeah. is totally my experience as well. Like, I, yeah, it's a, a problem. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it is. Is it, is it like, you know, uh, the, just the person that calls the most attention to themselves? Cause I, I to this day, I, 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 I find myself often in that same situation of like, um, the point person or something, you know? Oh, definitely. I, I mean, who knows what I was even saying, but for some reason I felt the need to say it loudly and clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so, so you go into, when did you make the turn to journalism? Was that during college? Was it when you realized you were at a school that offered that or was it before? That? No, um, no, actually I was, um, I was 17 years old and needed to do a high school internship, uh, mini internship, if you will, and, uh, went over to CNN in Atlanta and spent about three days over there and was just so, so wowed. Um, by, by the job description, by what I was watching people do. And I think by the importance of, of journalism with a capital J, I think that was probably the first time I really started to see the importance in, in storytelling, in journalism Mm. and, and see really what all of these journalists were doing in my backyard in Atlanta. Um, so got very turned on by the idea of journalism, um, applied early decision to Emerson college, um, to major in broadcast journalism and really never looked back. What was uh, going from Atlanta to Boston? Was that a big transition like culturally or was it kind of where you read at home? You know, I was raised uh, in the suburbs right outside of the city. Um, so in a sense, you know, going from one big city to another was was not that much of a culture shock. I will say uh, my roommates from freshman year in college would tell you that seeing snow, watching me see snow for the first time was kind of an epic adventure. Uh, I was like, what is this? Like I that, did not grow up with this. It's like that Winona Ryder scene in Edward Scissorhands or something. <laughs> no, absolutely, yeah. actually, because I'm looking around and I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's going to snow. I get it. I get it. I've seen a couple inches of snow before. You know, Atlanta, the whole city shuts down, as we all know yeah, right. now after last year, uh, in, with just a few inches of snow. So to see, um, you know, a foot of snow fall in an hour, I, I think pretty much blew my mind. Uh, but but other that was probably my biggest adjustment to Boston. Yeah. yeah. So uh, an entry level. So, I, you know, obviously I, I got two, gra- uh, two degrees at Emerson and now I work at Emerson, but I don't really know what the sort of um, academic narrative of a journalism student looks like at that college. So take us through your freshman. You know, do you get to take any entry level classes in journalism as a freshman or do you kind of what what did it all? Look yeah. Like? You know, I, I think even even when I applied to Emerson, the one of the reasons that I wanted to be there was because I knew that I could get into journalism right away. Mm-hmm. I could get into writing packages, working as a yeah. a college TV news anchor right away. So I'm trying to remember exactly how things went, but I do recall freshman year taking some of those journalism classes right off the bat, kind of getting in there, learning how to write for television, which a lot of people think, oh, I can write an essay. I can write a term paper. I could write for television. It's not that simple. Because trying to create simplicity in writing for news is something that you that can take some time, and it certainly is a process. So that was freshman year at Emerson, was learning to write for, 
for TV news. T- tell us about writing for news. What it, you know, what goes into it? What, what what do you have to learn if you wanted to break into it? Because you know, it, does it have its own format? Does it have its own? Um, you know, what would you study? Would it's are there other writings you would re- want to read first? You know, if you're a screenwriter, you you know, go read screenplays. Uh, l- learn the format. Learn learn some of the. Uh, learn what makes a screenplay a screenplay. Um, what, what is it for yeah. TV news? I, I think news, first of all, news consumption is key. If you, if you want to write for TV news, you need to be watching TV news. That's not to say you can't pick up some bad habits by, by watching even some of the shows that you love. I think it, this is true within, within, you know, any, uh, script writing, right. you know, film, right. film production, what have you. But, um, what I would say the hardest thing about writing for TV news is learning to break things down because the reality is, um, when I started working in news, the average script was a minute and 30 seconds for a package. Um, today, 60 seconds to a minute and 10 seconds. Mm. So the challenge with writing for news is learning to break things down. So how do you take a story that could be worth an hour of on-air time and break it down to a minute and do it in a way in which the story still has integrity, it's still interesting, and a viewer can still get out of it and comprehend what you were trying to get across. So I think that is a huge challenge. And I think as journalists, some days we succeed in that, and, and some days we don't, quite frankly. I mean, it, it could take hours to, to try to, you know, to, to get it down to that crystalline minute. Um, where, where, you know, but if I leave this word out, you know, uh, uh, all of the nuance goes out the door. If I leave this word out or if we put this word in, it kind of gives it, you know, we can't just combine those words into this cause that sends the wrong message. I imagine all of that, uh, you know, you can agonize over it. Well, you can. And I think the biggest challenge with news is you, you have a deadline and your deadline is typically that day. Right. So, OK, you get in at three o'clock and you know you've got to be on air with your story at 10 o'clock that night. So for a perfectionist. Um, which I think so many journalists are by nature, it's it's a really challenging and sometimes daunting process because you want your story to be perfect on air at 10 o'clock. But let me tell you, very few stories do you look back on and say that you wouldn't do at least one thing, two things, three things oh, yeah. differently. Um, so that is a challenge. And thankfully, you know, you do have producers and you do have other people in your newsroom who are, you know, got, you know, perhaps giving you some insight reading over that story. But, it, you know, as a reporter in the field, it really is on you ultimately to write it, to break it down and to put it on TV. But you do have you, there must be this integrity versus deadline versus reality kind of, you know, push it, it, all of those things are pushing against one another. I'm sure that makes it really challenging. It certainly does. And I think it's that kind of age old question of do we want to get it first or do we want to get it right? And is it possible to do both of those things? Um, You know, I think right now, um, you know, it's funny over the years that doesn't change. That's still the, the biggest challenge facing journalists. I would say one thing that has changed even just since I graduated from Emerson College, is that now there is live capability pretty much everywhere. You know, it used to be you had to park your live truck, you had to set up your shot. Laptop. Um, uh, exactly. Yeah. You know, now there's, there's you know, backpacks that can pretty much get a signal from anywhere. So let me tell you, you show up on the scene, you're with your photographer and your newsroom's calling, when can you get live? When can you get live? Well, you used to have 15 minutes while your photographer was setting up the truck to go gather information, talk to any officials on scene. Well, now when you're live in 30 seconds to a minute after showing up, you better know what you're going to say before you just start putting information on television. Yikes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so writing is the, is, is your, 
your entry in. You know, they start with writing, start with start with the written word, and then um, and then what's next? Is is it performance? Is it um, you know uh, what is it? You know, I I always tell our interns uh, the performance is about ten percent of what we do, um, and the funny thing is, it's all people see. So it's the one thing people see, but it's only 10% of what we do. Um, You know, at the end of the day, you better be good at that 10% because it is what people see. But the majority of your day, um, you know, from your afternoon meeting or your morning meeting on is really researching, is reaching out to people, is convincing people to go on camera, talk, share their stories. Um, And then it's on you to break down their story. You know, somebody sits down with you and they give you 30 minutes worth of information and interview, but you might use two, eight to 10 second sound bites from them. So how can you help this person you've never met before break their story down with you? And and that that can be a challenge. So I would say it's that combination of research in getting people to talk with you and then to ultimately craft all of this into a story um, and have it to me in an hour, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you find yourself um, ever want, you said you're not a particularly technical person. Did you ever find yourself kind of wanting to, uh, to be able to be a bit more DIY? Because again, as you say, it's like, you know, if, if I can get live with a laptop, then it's on me to get live with a laptop. It's on you just as now I think it's, it's on journalists. And I, and I think that, you know, we all know our, our strengths and weaknesses. And I think uh, over the last few years, I have had to learn a number of things, you know, as far as having a better understand, how can you guide, you know, someone who's editing your story to make the edits you want if you don't fully comprehend, you know, Avid or EDIUS or whichever right. program they're using. So I think I've had to le- have a better understanding of some of the technical that's involved. Um, but the majority of my work is the written word, is yeah. crafting the story and, and is that live shot at the end of the day. Which is the same no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. That's the interesting part. The, the framework is the same, but yeah. every night is a different story. Yeah. Um, and I think that can be daunting at times because every day you have to learn something entirely new. And it might not be something you're familiar with, comfortable with, or have any background knowledge about at all. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> So you, you, you say performance is 10%. Talking about that 10%, um, Obviously, clarity of voice, right? Uh, 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 being able to uh, t- to say what you're saying in the time compressed and, and whatnot. But is there also an element of relationship building with the viewers? You know, uh, uh, having them trust you, uh, being the same face night after night. Uh, talk about that a little bit. You know, I, I think there is. I mean, I, I look, I've worked in two markets. I, I worked in Huntsville, Alabama, starting my career after Emerson for um, about two and a half years and then went to KCRA in Northern California uh, for about three and a half years. And I think that in, in both situations, it took about a year to get people to kind of know you, start to relate to you when they'd see you out in the field. Oh, hey, we watched you last night, loved your story. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that takes time. People don't just see you on TV for the first time and you get recognized the next day. Uh, That that is not what this is about, and and nor does that happen. Um, So I think after a couple of years, people definitely start to kind of relate to you. You start getting emails from viewers. I think that takes time. Um, I also think, you know, people want to see that you're human. 
I think a lot of people go into TV news thinking I'm going to be a robot and I'm going to talk like this all the time. I think that, you know, viewers want to relate to you. They want to see that you're part of their community, that you care about the things that they care about, that you're not just a robot who parachuted in to do a live shot and talk about a community so that you could be on TV for the evening. You know, that's really not what this is about. So I think in answering your question, it takes time. It does take time. And that's not something um, that I think is easy for, for every journalist to understand or comprehend at the beginning. Yeah, my guess is that, you know, as you bring on new anchors, you're kind of phasing them in, you know, you're introducing them and then giving them more exposure over time to let them develop that relationship. That's my guess, or at least that's what I that's what I observe from watching local news. Oh, it certainly is. I I mean, I I think that. Look, anytime you see a new anchor on your local news, what what does the station do? They get the oldest anchor from that station to sit at the desk with the new person and start asking them questions and start introducing them and bringing them, you know, into the scene in in a way in which the viewer can look at it and say, oh, if this person I recognize is is welcoming this this newbie on, um, then there must be something to it. Maybe I can trust this person, too. And then it's a process. Sort of passing the torch of trust. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it, it certainly it certainly is. And I, I think that one of the best ways, you know, when you get started in a community that you can get comfortable and have your viewers get comfortable with you is, is starting to volunteer, is getting involved in, you know, in the community, starting to talk to people and just kind of breaking that wall of I'm on TV telling you about your community and I'm actually in your community. Yeah. You know, I, I think you kind of have to get comfortable and, and start to understand what's important to people. That's a dr- I never thought about it quite like that, that it, especially if you want to start local or you you're doing it because you care about local stories and local news, um, which you should be, you know, this, yeah. you know, I have to say, I mean, this is journalism, this is TV, but at the end of the day, this is, if you're doing the 10 or 11 o'clock news, the point is to tell people, this is what happened in your community today. Right, right. And this is how it could potentially affect you. This is what you need to know. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get it, if you don't get the community, if you don't get what's important to people in the community, how could you possibly deliver a story? I mean, going back to what I said that's important to me from the beginning, telling stories with integrity. How can you do that if you don't get what's important to a community? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So um, you graduate, of course. And, uh, and what do you do next? Is there a moment of horror? Is there lose your mind? You think, how do I do this? No, um, you, you graduate. Look, I graduated in 2008. I, um, had an amazing, amazing, amazing experience at Emerson college. I don't think, um, another program could have possibly prepared me as well as Emerson did. What, what, um, what did it do? What did it do? Do you think that, uh, that others might not on? You know, I look, I look, I didn't attend another college, so I don't know exactly what happens. I did my homework before going to Emerson. But what I would say about Emerson is that everything was hands on and everything was done from the get go. You got to take those core gen ed classes that everybody has to take while you're taking your classes on how to write a news story. So I think by the time I graduated and, you know, I had worked at, you know, Emerson College television station and radio station, um, I at least knew kind of how to do this, or yeah. so we all like to think. Um, so when I graduated in 2008, um, I knew the hardest task I would have would be finding that first job on air. Because how do you convince somebody to put you on the news every day if you've just graduated college? I mean, trust me to share stories every day when I've never actually been on TV before, yeah. but I did my college television station. You know, it's, it's that kind of a situation. But I think that's, so, I mean, that, that's the paradox of a lot of job 
job getting, especially right out of college, which is exactly I'm, qual- exactly. I'm qualified based on this degree and based on my college experience, but I have no real world experience. Who's going to take a risk on me first? And once that happens, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'll have a resume. No, that is the biggest challenge. And I think, you know, with with TV news and with reporting, not only is it who's going to take a a risk on me, it's who's going to put me on TV for hundreds of thousands of people to see. Because when you're when you're in this field, people see you mess up. You know, when you're at a desk all day, you might have a boss who can cover some of your mistakes and help you along the way. When you're on live television, um, a lot of people are going to you are completely and people are going to see you mess up along the way. And um that takes some time to get comfortable with. But I will say, to get my first job, I drove around the South. I borrowed my parents' car, and I went to Chattanooga, and I knocked on the doors of news stations, and I said, will you look at my tape? And I went to Savannah, and then I went to Huntsville, Alabama, where I ended up. And I sat in waiting rooms and said, can I talk to the news director? And it was so uncomfortable. And looking back on it, I'm like, oh, my God, how did I even do that? Um but that was what I had to do. And eventually, um, I convinced someone to take a chance. And, um, I, I would like to think it ended up working out for both of us. But <laughs> so. it, I mean, is, isn't that good advice that, you know, to break through that catch 22, you kind of have to break the rules and break conventional wisdom a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I, I think so completely. Um, but I, I have to say that I think the first job might be the hardest job to get. Um, and I, it was funny. I actually had somebody after I got my job with ABC in Huntsville, I had a news director who called me four or five months later and said, you know, I want to apologize to you because I didn't give you the time of day and I never listened or or watched your tape. And I just put it in. And did you still want to come work for me? Because you can do this. And I said, well, you know, I actually got it. I did get a job. And he was like, well, I'm not surprised, but I wanted to apologize because I should have watched your tape back when you handed it to me. And and it was a really nice thing, you know? Well, that's, of course, what ends up happening is all of your luck happens at once. And it's (laughs) none of your luck is available when you really need it. Oh, at all. At (laughs) all. Absolutely. You know, if I'm a news director. And you show up with the vo- with that voice on my front step. I'd be like, put her on air tonight. She, she was um, born to do this. Uh, you know, I have to say, uh, I've been very fortunate in that. Look, I, I think I had a voice I was born with. And then, you know, at Emerson College, I actually worked with a, an amazing professor named Bob Klinkscale, who, who sat down mm. with me and taught me how to use my voice. Mm. Because whatever talents you have that are, you know, you're gifted with, you can always improve upon them. I, I'm a firm believer in that. So I, I did work with um, Bob Klingscale throughout my time in Emerson, and he, he really helped me learn how to use my voice. And I think that news directors have um, taken note of that over the years. Yeah. Um, but just because they hear that, they know that that's not enough. Right. So I think it's, we know you have the voice. Okay, we know that you can be on TV. But I think then the questions really start to come. Do you, you know, do you understand how to tell stories mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. can you do it on a deadline? And I find a lot of times repeating something back to people goes a long way mm. when they give you an answer and they're looking at you wondering if you comprehended and understood what they were trying to share with you, repeating it back. Did I understand this correctly? Let me make sure I've got this and putting it back to them and letting them know you're listening, you're comprehending 
and this is how it's going to be told tonight on the news. That way, when they go to watch it at 10 o'clock, they've kind of already heard you tell their story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's on you. you you've got to convince them otherwise sometimes. A, a casual conversation with anybody can can often tell you whether or not they have a sense for storytelling, I, I find. you know, uh, uh, Even if they're just telling a story about what happened to them earlier that day or, or last week or whatever, you can tell if they, if they understand the important details, have discarded the unimportant details, um, uh, know when to accent certain things. This is where the joke comes in. Uh, that, that last part was not a joke, you know? Um, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So just, just sitting and talking can, you know, I'm, I'm sure that for your field, uh, uh an in-person interview can mean that much more. Um, cause they're, they're, they're just listening to you talk about yourself and the way you talk about yourself. Yeah, I, I think certainly, certainly. I mean, you you know right off the bat if, if somebody knows how to tell stories or not. Yeah. Um, but again, in our field, it's not just can you tell a story, it's can you do it um, in four hours? Yeah, can right. you do it in 60 seconds? And can you get across what matters? And, you know, again, some days we win and, and sometimes we, we try our best. So how did you break through to the ABC gig? My first job, yeah. Uh, I think my first job was, you know, driving around interviewing. Finally, you know, got the call from the news director. He said, "I'll call you." I said, "I'm coming to town tomorrow," and he said, "No, no, no, no." He said, "I'm going to watch your tape, and then I'm going to call you back, and I'll tell you if I still want you to drop by." I said, "That's great, but I'm well, going nice to be in your office tomorrow." Uh, and uh, yeah, so he uh, he ended up calling me back um, rather quickly and saying, because he had said, "I don't want to waste your time, and I don't want you to waste mine." Right. Uh, and I, I, I got that and I respected that. I, I was still needing to, I think, be a certain level of pushy. Um, but he did call me back and he said, all right, all right, come to, come to town. Um, so I, you know, the next day I met with him and um, it was interesting because he actually, I met with him and he said, I, I know I'm going to want to offer you a job, but I don't have the opportunity to offer it to you today, tomorrow or next week. It's going to take me a couple months to actually get this going. Mm which was very uncomfortable uh, for, very, for a very impatient person like myself who just wanted to go, go, go. So it was interesting because I actually had another job offer in Myrtle Beach um, after that interview. They offered me a job and sent the contract over. We were, you know, they were ready to go. And something just didn't feel right about that station, about living there um, and, and about the choice to sign a contract for a number of years, because news contracts are typically two, three, sometimes even four years. Yeah. So you're committing. Um, so something didn't feel right. And I think a lot of people in my life at that time were like, wait, you're going to turn down an offer in your hand and wait for an offer that you just have a hunch is going to come through. Why would you do that? You know, and I was very fortunate because I had very supportive parents who kind of said to me at that time, you know what, trust yourself, trust your gut. Um, and wait for what you feel is right. Mm -hmm. And I, I turned the first offer down and, and I did wait and um, the offer came through. Um, but it was a risk. It was a gamble. Because um, it, not, not just because you go three months without pay, but also because it, it could straight up not happen at all. Um, it, it could have not happened at all. But I felt very strongly that it was um, that it was right for me to wait. Um, and it actually ended up coming through sooner than I had even anticipated mm. Uh, after I'd turned down the other job, but, uh, but it was a risk. It was a risk. Do you sign the contract once you start or did you sign the contract 
before, you know, as you started waiting? You know, news contracts are, are very interesting. Typically, okay, my first job in, in Alabama, I will say, and I, I look, I, I guess I shouldn't go into detail specifically about what my contract was at that time, but in general, I would say most of the contracts have a three-month probationary period. And it's oh, interesting because, so they get you on air, and if you're awful, we might have a problem. Yeah. Um, so they have a three-month probationary. It'll be a, a two- to three-year contract, but a three-month probationary. So they can kind of politely say sayonara yeah. after three months. Um, but typically, you you sign the contract maybe a couple weeks before you start, get everything hammered out. Um, but then if you do have that probationary period, you uh, you have a lot of pressure and weight on your shoulders the first few months you're on air. Well, they, they, they need something to, you know, if... if, if uh they don't want to sign people that haven't been on TV yet just to find out that they're stuck with them for four years. I don't blame them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if I was signing me at that point in time, I, I yeah, I might have done a week by week contract. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, but but during your probation probationary period, um, there was there was no talk of like, is Mallory working out there? It just kind of started and, and it went great. I think they saw how badly I wanted it. I think they saw that I was willing to work hard. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, again, um, it's about hard work and dedication and digging up stories, which we haven't even talked about. But um, I think they saw that I wanted to work. Um, and then, you know, something really crazy happened right after my probationary period ended. Um, it was Christmas season and there was an anchor who wanted to go have Christmas with their family. And I said, I will happily anchor on Christmas. And I anchored on Christmas. She ended up leaving. Um, and within a couple months, I actually had another offer to be a weekend anchor for them. So I signed another contract. And it was just kind of an interesting process because I think they saw very quickly that I was willing to work. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think in small markets, sometimes, um, the fact that you're good on TV is they like that, but if you're willing to work and put in the time for not very much money, quite frankly, um, there are opportunities for growth. I, I think that's true of most jobs really. It, yeah. th there's, there's, um, everybody knows that lack of experience is going to mean, uh, that growing is going to have to happen. And so you invest in people, you know, uh, right now I'm an employer. I invest in people. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I'm not really able to hire people that are, are, you know, perfectly skilled. Um, but I am looking for personalities. I'm looking for kinds of personalities and work ethic. Uh, it sounds simple. It sounds kind of, uh, sure. uh, it's something you're told in middle school or something, but it's, it really is true that, that I can't, I can teach you this technical skill, but I can't necessarily teach you how to work. Very true. Yeah. So, Very and, true. and you're, you're finding the same thing, uh, in, in your field. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, very much. And I, you know, same, you know, when I left Huntsville and I, I went to, um, Sacramento, um, my news director who, who hired me, uh, at the time said, you know, I'm, I'm going to start you at the very bottom of the totem pole and you're going to have to prove to me that you're going to do the work to climb to the top. And he was like, I, I believe that you will do the work, but here's the deal. It's not going to be easy. You're going to be the last person on the totem pole. You're going to work the worst shift and you're going to put in the time. And I promise you, if you do all of those things, there will be a return on your investment. And there was. Right. Yeah. So talk about, so did you stay at the same station for the six year arc or did you eventually change? 
So I was, um, so I was with ABC, um, the ABC affiliate in Huntsville for two and a half years. Um, and then I went to KCRA in Sacramento for three and a half years. Okay. So that was, that was the change up. So I was with, um, the NBC affiliate in Sacramento during that time. And when you went to Sacramento, did you change, uh, you know, it's, I'm, I, I guess I'm not, I don't know what, if there are positions or if there's a hierarchy of positions. Uh, no, I think that's a really, a really good question. Um, I, okay. In, in Alabama, I, I shifted from just a reporter to working as an anchor and kind of going back and forth. I even ended up producing all of my, my weekend shows there. So I did a number of different jobs when I came to Sacramento, which Sacramento is, is, you know, considered a, a top 20 media market. Um, there was less opportunity, I would say for growth once you're hired into a position. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I think maybe just like in, in so many other fields, um, you know, when you started a, a small, smaller company that's just starting out, maybe there's room to do a million different things. I think kind of as, as you move up within this industry, what you're hired for is more what you end up doing. Yeah. Um, the higher up you go. And I think that was more my experience um, working in Northern California. About four months ago, um, I had an opportunity to, um, to stick around where I was. Um, and I really felt that I needed to explore my options. Um, having done this for six years, I, I love storytelling. I love journalism. Um, but just like I said, you know, it's uh, when you're telling a minute long, a minute, 10 second, a minute, 30 second story every day, sometimes you want to tell the half an hour long story. Yeah. Sometimes you want to be involved in a project that you get to finesse, that you get to be a perfectionist about. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, where the path is going to take me in the next few years. Uh, but I might be looking to dabble in some longer form work that I really haven't been able to participate in by virtue of just doing what I've been doing. That's, that's what I love about podcasting is, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a reporter, but I am a storyteller. I'm, I'm a filmmaker. Yeah. And I found myself w when between projects, which, you know, you use when you're making a feature. So I've done four features now when I'm making a feature. That's my whole life. But then when you're in between them, you still kind of want to have you always want to have an iron on the fire. You always want to be doing something creative, just something kind of fun like we're doing right now. And yeah. uh, and I found that, you know, turning on a microphone and talking to somebody interesting um, in a kind of free form way that allows, allows them to be conversational and, uh, and not fit any particular format. And then, and then, you know, publishing it in, in this way that's still fairly wild west. Um, you know, you have, you have iTunes as kind of the standard, but, um, yeah. but you know, you, you reach people on their morning commutes, you reach them on the way home. Um, uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's led to, you know, just, just sitting down and talking to people has led to uh, new collaborations for me that became really interesting. And so, yeah, I wonder if, um, if, if something like podcasting makes any sense for you or if, if, if your stations ever did any. Um, you know, I, when I was in Alabama, I think that was something that, um, some of the folks there were starting to consider. Um, I don't think that, yeah, it's hard to know what direction local news will go. You know, yeah. local news is facing a, a lot of challenges right now uh, because let's face it, we can get our, our news online. Right. Um, why do we have to, you know, news by or television by appointment, as we all know in the TV and film industry, ha has become such a challenge because um, you can look on your phone for, for what you might be able to get that night. So I think the challenge with news is, is, is bringing you something new that you didn't already get an alert about on your phone five hours ago. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, podcasting, I think is another, it's another tool that could potentially be used. 
I think local stations are still trying to gauge how to use some of these new options. Yeah. Um, so for me, you know, I could definitely see getting in, getting involved, um, but I don't I don't know which direction some of these stations will go. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, nobody really knows what the level of interest is, and um, you know, is it a, is is it for a niche audience? How many should I do? Should I do one a no. week? Should it be about a special interest? But um, I don't know. They're just fun and they're easy. And when something is fun and easy and opens you up to to conversations that don't have to fit into um, you know, one minute packages, two minute packages, um, I, I find that, I find that kind of exciting. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so it's been four months, and what what's next? What's next for Mallory? You know, I, I'm I'm trying to figure that out. Um, you know, I, I have to say, in in looking at everything going on all over the world right now, there are so many stories that I think desperately need to be told. Um, you know, I, I think if you look at the current situation in Cuba, and that, you know, I think there's there are so many stories um, that could be done there. Um, and you think I, you think aren't being covered very well? I well, <sighs> there's such a dominant discourse in television news and we have to cover these day of events and we have this 24-hour news cycle and again can we get some of these stories into that minute-long package and and I I don't think that's always something we can do so I I look at I look at the situation there and in so many other places all over the world and I'm just trying to gauge are there stories that I could be really passionate about uh, that I'd really like to sink my teeth into Um, and that's something I'm I'm trying to kind of gauge right now and also reaching out to people like yourself, reaching out to other people that we went to school with to figure out, could we collaborate? You know, could I go in a, in a direction where maybe I could be inspired to really think outside of the box? Um, so I'm still trying to gauge what is next for me. I'm not saying that I will not, um, end up back in, in, you know, the general news scheme of things. Um, but I am looking at what else is out there. So, if somebody were 18 years old and they said news storytelling, that's, that's for me. Um, what do you, what's different about today? Cause you know, it's, you're, you're, you're 10 years away from that. Um, what would you tell that 18 year old to do now? Yeah. If they want to go into this field, they want to break in, they want it. They want to hustle to every doorstep in town. Like you did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I'm a firm believer um, in, in telling people to follow their dreams, first of all. Um, I think a lot of people get caught up in don't do this, don't get into this field, it's crazy, it'll ruin, it'll ruin you. Uh, I, I don't believe that. I believe if you want to do this, first and foremost, go do it. Uh, don't spend so much time thinking about what can't be done and just go make it happen. You know, I'd, I'd say internships are absolutely key. Um, you know, I, I had the most amazing internship at CNBC um, when I was in college that really showed me what it means, uh, to be a journalist, what it means to work in a newsroom. So I would say hands-on experience, um, and then just understand, uh, that this is down and dirty. This is, this is, uh, this is not just about being a face on TV. This is, um, about a lot more than that. And, um, if you really want to tell stories, make sure you're passionate, but also realize that not every story is going to be the story you want to tell. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, nine days out of 10 are the story, you know, your boss said this has to get on the news tonight. And I don't care if you don't love that story or you're not interested. You need to make that story the most interesting story you can possibly make it. Um, and if you have concerns about that, uh, then you kind of have to get over it. Mm-hmm. That's the job. That's the job. And if people want to see what you're up to, uh, do you have a, a personal site? Anything that, you know, Twitter, anything people can check you out at? 
Um, I do have a Twitter handle. Uh, it's uh, Mallory Lynn Hoff. And uh, I'm, I'm working on a few things. Uh, one of the things you could check out right now is uh, uh, www.hoffvoice.com. Uh, H-O-F-F voice.com. Yeah, doing a little bit of voiceover work right now and just kind of looking to meet uh, folks who are curious and creative and good writers and people who want to tell stories with integrity. Yeah. Awesome. Mallory, thanks for coming on and telling us about all this, sharing a lot of experience, a lot of really valuable experience uh, with, with the listeners. You are an excellent person. You're extremely giving. Uh, anybody who wants to collaborate with you really should. Uh, I think it would work out for them. Well, that's very kind. All right, I'll talk to you soon. This is where the Kings will continue to play until a new arena is built. His mother tells me tonight his recovery is going well, but he could have some long-lasting effects. Now, oftentimes crime scenes of this magnitude will be made smaller in time. Investigators will finish their work in a certain area and then scale the crime scene back. Now, the way this works is pretty simple. Crews drive around. If they see smoke coming from your chimney, they're going to snap a picture and you may end up with a citation. We're told they went into this not knowing if they would speak. Ultimately, they decided not to. No, detectives were not able to ID the person in that surveillance video. They tell me they have received hundreds of tips on this case.